So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 4. This morning, we're continuing our series called Trajectory. We are meditating on our church's core values. Really, what we're doing is we're trying to understand what exactly is it that this new church values? What is most important to Renewal Church? And we have been looking at this for several weeks. And this is important because understanding our core values is understanding the very culture that we're trying to shape here in this church. Because every church has a culture. And I'm not talking about, oh, Central Texas. No, I'm talking about a church culture. And we want to have one where we value what God values. And we want to stay on the very path that God is calling us to follow, thus staying on the trajectory that God has laid before us. Today we're talking about how we value multiplication. This is one of our core values. We don't value it being us for no more. We value multiplying. Let's read Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. While walking on the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Father in heaven, this morning we are desperate for you. We need your presence. We need your spirit. Left to ourselves, we can make no sense of these words. And yet we yearn to to follow. And Jesus, just like you spoke to these four fishermen, these two profound, life-altering, eternity-changing words, you said, follow me. And this is our heart's desire, Jesus, is to follow you and to go and be fishers of man. We ask that you would be heavy in this place. We would sense your presence, that your spirit would be active, and that we would leave this place changed with hearts that yearn to multiply for the praise of your name among all the peoples of this planet. And we pray it in your name, Jesus, for you are our first love. Amen. Jesus encounters these two sets of brothers, James and John and Peter and Andrew. And these, these guys were not just fishing, you know, just for fun on a, on a vacation. They were commercial fishermen. This was their profession. This is what they did for a living. And Jesus tells them, follow me. Come be my disciples. As we break down this text, I want to give you just three key words that summarize this call to follow Jesus. These three words summarize, if you will, discipleship or disciple 
making, what it means to follow Jesus as a disciple, as a lifelong committed learner and follower of him, and also to go lead others to come also follow Jesus. So the key words, let me give you the first one. The first one is master. Master. That's what we see with Jesus. When they left their nets, what do you think they were leaving? Their career. When it says that they left their boat, what do you think they were leaving? Their identity. Because these, it says in the text, were fishermen. This is what they were, what they were known for, what they did, what they thought about. This is what they were. If, if it existed back then, they'd be posting memes about fishing. Or they'd be posting blogs about fishing. They, they'd always be looking to buy the newest fishing boat. And, and their, their whole lives, their social media, everything about who they are would be wrapped up in boats and fishing and methods. And that was their career. This was what they did. They left it. Their careers, their identity, what they knew, their comfort, their father. They left their families behind. And so what they were saying when Jesus says, follow me. They were saying, Jesus, my security, my career, my comfort, my identity, everything about who I am and what I've done, it's all yours. It's yours. You take it. You define who I am. You give me security and hope and purpose and joy. It's all yours, Jesus, because you are the master. Now, this is actually insane for someone to do this unless Jesus is the master. To give up everything about who you are to follow Jesus would make no sense unless Jesus is who he said he Understand, when these men are hearing the words coming out of the mouth of Jesus, understand the context. This is Matthew chapter 4. Go back to Matthew chapter 1, where this begins. Jesus is called Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. And so Jesus is God in the flesh Fully God, one with the Father. And so Jesus is God in chapter 2. What you have is these wise men, they come and they bring gifts to worship baby Jesus. And what do they do when they see the infant's child, the, the infant king? They bow down and they worship him as God. And then chapter 3, Jesus is baptized and what happens? The Holy Spirit comes out of heaven. The heavens are opened. The Spirit comes down, and you can hear God the Father speak and says, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Is Jesus just another man? Is Jesus just another good religious teacher that, that inaugurated a new religious belief system? No, this is not just another man. This is Jesus, God in the flesh, the king, the creator, the sustainer of life itself. And when God himself calls out to these fishermen and Jesus says, follow me, 
they listened as they should. They saw more in Jesus. More what? More joy, more hope, more purpose, more life than anything else that this world could offer. And so they said, Jesus, you are my everything. You are my purpose for existing. Yes, I will follow you, the master. And so understanding what it means to be a disciple begins with Jesus is the master. Second key word, mercy. This is a merciful call. Remember, back to Matthew chapter 1. There's a vision, and the angel of the Lord tells Joseph, and you will call his name Jesus because it's a cool random name. Right? No, he says, and you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. That's who Jesus is. And so this call, come, follow me. Come, let me define your identity and your worth and your purpose. Come to me, not to a religion, me. Come focus on me. Come follow me was an act and continues to be mercy. That's all it is. It's sheer mercy. We don't deserve his forgiveness. We don't deserve the hope that he gives us. We don't deserve eternity in heaven. We don't deserve anything that Jesus did on the cross and died for our sins. It's all mercy. And so this call to be a disciple, disciple maker, begins with the master who calls us out of sheer mercy to multiply. That's the third one. Yes, they're all M's. You like that? My wife mocks me, but that's okay. I still love her. Now, that third one, multiply, I actually, you could say mission, because our, our mission is to multiply. And so I'll let you pick which third one you want to put in there. But definitely, he is a master, and it's sheer mercy, and we're called to a mission, which is to multiply, which is why Jesus says, come to me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And so we at this church value multiplication because Jesus values multiplication. He's the one that said, come follow me. And then in that call is the same call to go and bring others to follow me. Now you could say, great, that was a short sermon. We, we got all three points in. And uh, now we understand, but wait, but I still haven't answered why. Why does Jesus value multiplication? I haven't answered how we do it or the what of multiplication. And so there's still a lot of, of Bible to study together and have our hearts, I'm praying, explode with joy in the presence of God as we examine his word. But this is the foundation is that he is a master. Out of mercy, he calls us to multiply. Let's answer these questions. The first, if you will, core question of why. Why does Jesus value multiplication? Why should we? Why does he call us to multiply? 
Now, let me just say this. When Jesus goes to these fishermen and he says, follow me, this wasn't the first time. Like, just understand this. This was not a, a new concept. It's not as though Jesus shows up and then randomly says, oh, come follow me and make fishers of men and go multiply and find more followers for me. It's not as though that started with Jesus. No, absolutely not. There was a whole history of thousands of years that we call the Old Testament where God was at work and Jesus picks up where the Old Testament leaves off and all of it points to and is fulfilled in Jesus. All of it, the whole Bible, all of human history, redemption is all by Jesus, for Jesus, and through him. It began in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and it's fulfilled with Jesus. So let's look at that somewhat quickly. How multiplying is rooted in the very character and purpose of God, and by that definition, then it becomes our purpose. This is a theme, multiplying, that began in Genesis and ends and culminates one day in Revelation, in the future when we stand together in heaven. So, in the beginning, Genesis 1:28, God tells Adam and Eve, he tells them what? He says, and God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You're thinking, oh, that just means have babies. No. Now, it does include have babies, but it's not just have babies. It's not just physical multiplication. This also refers to a spiritual multiplication. He says, be fruitful and multiply. And here's how I know it's also spiritual, because the verse before in 127. So the verse before, this call to be fruitful. In verse 27, God says that he made Adam and Eve in his image. So he says, I made you in my image. Now, therefore, go multiply and fill the earth. And so multiplication is about multiplying image bearers across the planet. Fill the earth. God's purpose was, continues to be, always has been, always will be to create a people of every single nationality and every single tongue that will belong to him and that will praise him and that will worship him, that will adore him, that will walk with him and hear his voice and be in awe of who he is. It's about a people that worship God. It has always been his purpose that he be treasured as the greatest treasure by a multitude of individuals who reflect the very glory of God. The problem is that because of our sinfulness, our corruption, we don't. We don't reflect God's glory. We don't image him well. We reflect sinfulness and self-centeredness and idolatry. We reflect that left to ourselves. And so why did God promise 
throughout the whole Old Testament to one day send the Messiah who would be beaten and who would be like a lamb led to the slaughter, who would be striped, who would be pierced, and who would die and then be resurrected and that we would be healed by his stripes. That we would then be made new and have his spirit in us. This was promised for hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. Now the eternal son of God has always existed, but he became a human at that very first Christmas. It was always God's plan to send his Messiah who would save us from our sins and restore us, renew us, give us new hearts, and restore his image through the power of his spirit. Are you understanding this? This is all the plan of God is to make a people who have his spirit and who reflect his glory, whose hearts are satisfied in him. And so you can call this God's plan of renewal. Why we have our church named renewal, because that's God's grand purpose, is to renew people, to restore them, give us new hearts, so that his glory will be multiplied across the planet. And this theme goes throughout the whole Old Testament. So you see it in Genesis 1. You have my image, be fruitful, multiply, and spread that. Spread it so that people everywhere worship me. And then in chapter 9, verse 1, with Noah. After the world is destroyed, and then it's made new, and God blessed Noah. Sound familiar? From chapter 1? God blessed Adam and Eve and said, Go multiply. Chapter 9, verse 1. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Huh, that sounds kind of similar to chapter 1. Chapter 22, verse 17. God's talking to Abraham. I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Once again, God blesses Abraham, says, now multiply. Genesis 26, verses 3 and 4. This is now his son Isaac. I will be with you and will bless you. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. Isaac's son, Jacob, chapter 35, verse 11, when he's renamed Israel. I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. Man, that is so profound. He says, I am God Almighty. Because of that, Jacob, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth with image bearers who love me and worship me and reflect my glory. And then Moses, in Acts 32, verse 13, praying on behalf of a very rebellious people who just worshiped the cow. And God is angry. And he prays. He says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said, I will multiply your offspring as the stars 
of the heaven. This thing continues throughout the whole Old Testament. You see it in Isaiah 49, verse 6. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And you see it again with King David. Prophet Jeremiah is describing this. Chapter 33, verse 22. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant, and the Levitical priests who minister to me. So again, blessing, go multiply. I am God. I have blessed you. You have a purpose. Go multiply. Go spread my fame throughout the whole world, and may there be a people who treasure me above all else. And the prophet Jeremiah is prophesying here that one day a descendant of King David will come and will create a people, a kingdom of priests. You hear that? Where every person of God's people is now a priest who has access to God, who doesn't have to go through a priest because he and she already are priests. You, you, don't, you don't need me to get to God. You're a priest all by yourself. And every single believer is one. And so what you're seeing here in, in Jeremiah 33, he says that there's going to be a king that will one day come And then you fast forward to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the first verse of the New Testament. And what does it say? What what do you think the New Testament would start off right out of the gate with? Verse 1, chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Is that surprising to us? It shouldn't be. We should have expected Matthew 1 to to start with that. Because if you know the Old Testament, you see everything has been pointing to the coming Messiah. The son of Abraham and the son of David. It all points to Jesus and is fulfilled in him and through him. So, when Jesus goes to these fishermen on the seashore and he says, follow me. And multiply. What was Jesus saying? Fulfill the purpose of God that he has had from the very beginning. He's saying, go live out your purpose. The reason why there is breath in your lungs. This has been what God has been after, what God has been creating. And now we have this privilege of participating in God's plan to create a global people who treasure him and worship him. I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. And one day he's going to complete it. One day he will complete this purpose of multiplication. And like it says in Revelation, 
and we will see a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. A multitude that no one can number. So God's plan of multiplication and of having the world covered with his image bearers, reflecting his glory, will one day be complete. And this defines you and me. This is the point of the gospel. This is the point of the church. This is the point of this church. And if it's not this one, what other point would you want to have? What else would you want to live for? This is what God has been doing from eternity past. And now we have this privilege of participating in what God has always been doing. We are a sent people. This is who and what we are. We have to answer the question, why? Why do we multiply? Because it's rooted in the purpose of God and his purpose for you and me. What? Next question. What are we multiplying? Let's be specific. So if we understand why, but what exactly are we multiplying? Habakkuk, that's in the Old Testament. Habakkuk 2.14 says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So what do we exactly are spreading and increasing and multiplying? He says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. So we're multiplying the knowledge of the glory of God. We're increasing the number of people who treasure Jesus, who reflect his glory because they've been made new and have his spirit. This is what we're multiplying is the knowledge of God's glory because there are people all around this, right here in this county, who see no glory in Jesus. They don't treasure him. They don't value him. They don't care about him. They might think that he was a good person, but he makes no difference in their daily lives. And so they are lost without hope and without purpose. And it's our calling and privilege to multiply the glory of God. Third question, how? How do we do this? So how exactly do we multiply? Well, we do it the way Jesus did. I have no other blueprint other than the way that Jesus did it. Jesus personally taught and invested in a few people. He had 12, but within his 12, he had his inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. So if you want two words for how, it's personal investment. That's how we do it. Personal investment. Programs don't produce disciples. They don't. Because you need personal investment. Jesus did not start programs. No offense, but he didn't even start seminaries. He didn't. He personally invested in 12 men. 
and in three in his inner circle. And when he ascended to the Father, he had entrusted his eternal plan to 12 men. He didn't entrust it to thousands and thousands and to megachurches. He didn't. He, he said, I'm going to the Father, I'll give you my spirit, and you 12 will multiply until the knowledge of my glory covers the face of the earth as the waters cover the earth. So Jesus had enough vision to think small. So God's plan to save people across the planet was to invest in a few people. I want to read to you out of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2. And this one will be on the screens. And all the verses I read haven't been on the screens. This one will. 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. This is Paul writing to young pastor Timothy. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, so I want to give you a graphic here on the screen that will help you understand these verses. And so what you see first is Paul. And so Paul is the one who's writing this letter to Timothy, but you read he also wrote to Titus, and he invested in him, and Silas, and Luke. And we know that from reading Acts and the rest of the New Testament, we know that Paul had some companions that he invested in, such as in this book, Timothy, so he discipled them, he taught them, he held their hand and showed them how to follow Jesus, and then he says that you then will teach others. So the next part of this multiplication is he says in verse 2 that you teach other faithful men who will then teach others also. So you see multiplication, and so people that Paul never discipled are being discipled because of men who are discipled by Timothy, who are discipled by Paul. That is not addition. This is multiplication, which is why when we have our home groups, the vision is to multiply, to spread more home groups across Bell County. And while we have discipleship groups that are by their inception designed to multiply so that we can then disciple more people, and why our vision as a church is to plant more church. Because you can look at it this way, as though you have, maybe you have First Baptist being the Paul, because that was our sending church. And then you have Renewal, who maybe is Timothy, and Renewal is going to plant more churches that will then plant more churches, that will then plant more churches, and churches that we never personally planted are going to be planted by churches that we planted. Confused yet? It's multiplication. If we just plant individual churches, that's addition. But if we plant churches that will then plant churches themselves, that is multiplication. And what we're seeing in the Bible, if you read Acts, even just summary, you'll see that you don't ever see churches getting large just to get large. You see churches get large that then go send out and go plant more churches. That is the pattern in the book of Acts, it's church planting. It's multiplication. It's been what God has been doing since the Garden of Eden. And the reason why Paul 
was doing it this way is because that's the way Jesus did it. And so we're called to live on mission and live out our purpose and do it in community. I want to show you our church logo. I know you've seen it, but I want to explain to you where this came from. Um, I preached on being intentional two weeks ago, and I want to show you here on the screens why we designed the logo the way that we did. So first, these dots represent, if you think of it kind of abstract, like from the top, they're individual people. And so picture like an aerial shot, okay? And so those are individuals, just like all of us are individual people. But you'll notice that these individual people are are connected. They're around each other in a circle. They're sharing their lives. But if you look there in the middle, they're sharing their lives around the cross. They're not sharing their lives just randomly. This, this logo has a cross design in it because that's the idea, is individual people huddled around the word, around the cross, that together experience something. Renewal. This is why we designed our logo the way that we did. It, it casts the vision for our very church. Is individuals sharing their lives who reach other people around the cross, tasting the renewal of God. And there are people that are desperate for it, that need it. And so we're called to spread it. Last question as we close. What's the result? What is the result of intentionally multiplying? What is the result of sharing our lives and being on mission with this focus of multiplying, this focus of spreading hope and joy and and Christ's gospel? What is the result? I'll read to you out of John 15, verse 11. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that your joy may be in you, and that your joy may be be full. So what is the result of multiplication? Joy. It brings us joy to see more people taste his renewal, to have community, to see them have purpose, to know God. It brings us joy. And so the result of multiplying is joy. And I'll even say this, the motivation to multiply is also joy. Having joy in Christ, walking with him, gives us a fuel to then multiply. We can't do this alone. We do this by God's design together. So I'll close with one question. Are you in? Or are you spectating? Because if you're just watching, man, are you missing out. 